0: Well, Christ has indeed risen from the dead, and he offers new life to us. And Jesus said that he came so that you might have life, and life more abundantly. And we want to see his life alive in us and in our church and and in the worldwide church of believers in Jesus Christ. And yet, last week, we admitted that it's possible for a person to confess that Jesus is Lord, and yet at the same time to live a life defeated, to not experience this abundant life. And many of us who have been believers for years would admit that there are times in our lives where we're clearly living in Jesus' abundant life and power, and yet there are other times when we're not. So what's going on? Has Jesus lost his power? Does he not want to give us his life? No, he hasn't lost his power And he longs to give us his abundant life. So why do we struggle? And why are we sometimes defeated and feeling dead? Well, I've wrestled with those questions, and many of you probably have as well. And in that struggle a few years ago, I found a book which helped me to find some answers to those questions. And the book is by Kyle Eidelman, and it's called God's at War. And I'm going to be using some of Eidelman's ideas in the next few weeks as we wrestle with these kinds of questions because they've really helped me. But I want to begin today in the book of Joshua. Uh, the Israelites are entering the promised land and they they have a leader, of course, who's Joshua, who's grown old. And he's passing the torch on to a new generation. But before he leaves them, he calls them together and he reminds them of their covenant with God. And Joshua is worried that the people are going to forget what God had done, that they're going to lose their passion for God in time, um, that they're going to trade this abundant life with God for other things. And so let's take a look at Joshua 24. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 27, kind of a lengthy passage, but I want to get the context and see what Joshua thinks is critical for the people to remember. Joshua 24, uh, starting in verse 1. It says Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt... "'You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen so far as the Red Sea. "'But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. "'He brought the sea over them and covered them. "'You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. "'Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. "'I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. "'They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands.' I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your, your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. "'whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates "'or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. "'But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord.' "'Then the people answered, "'Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. "'It was the Lord our God himself who brought us up "'and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery "'and performed those great signs before our eyes.' He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods... He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against you. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue. To your God. So we see that Joshua is concerned concerned here about the people serving other gods. There seems to be a battle going on for their hearts that Joshua wants them to understand. Now, come back to our day and imagine with me a man who has frequent tightness in his chest, and this causes him to have trouble sleeping. So he eventually goes to a doctor. And the doctor runs his tests, and he finds that the man has heart disease. Now, imagine that the doctor knows how difficult this news will be to handle, and so he doesn't tell the patient about the heart disease. Instead, he writes a prescription for a heating pad and some stretching exercises, and he tells him that his sleep will improve. Well, the man is delighted with this prognosis, and sure enough, he sleeps much better that night, and this seems to have solved his problem. Meanwhile, very quietly, the heart disease remains. A heart blockage is the real problem. Tightness of the chest is only a symptom. Now, I tell you that story because I believe that many among us have like a tightness in our chest. We have something that isn't right. Um, We may be struggling or hurting or stressing or cheating or lusting or spending, worrying, quitting, avoiding, searching, all kinds of things. And if those types of people were to come to me and share their struggles and frustrations, they would share what they think is the central problem in their lives. They've got to decrease the chest pain so that they can get better sleep. But the reality is that most of them are only recognizing and talking about a symptom rather than the true illness, the true issue, which is always their hearts. In Scripture, Joshua is concerned about the heart, and at the core of every issue is the idolatry of our hearts. Os Guinness points out that idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful concepts in the believer's arsenal. And yet, for Christians today, it's one of the least meaningful notions. And if you think about it, this whole notion of idols seems obsolete. I mean, that command about idolatry, that was for them back then, right? And as for the thousand or so references to idolatry in the Bible, haven't those expired? I mean... We don't know anyone who kneels before golden statues or bows down before carved images. Idolatry seems so primitive to us, so irrelevant, and yet it's the number one issue in the Bible. It comes into almost every book, and that should raise some caution signals for us. If we read our Bibles closely, we will discover that idolatry isn't just one of the many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all the others come from. Another way to say that is that idolatry isn't an issue. It is the issue. All roads lead to this dusty, overlooked concept of false gods. And so if we just look on the outside at symptoms, we might not see it. But if we go deeper and we examine our hearts we realize that this battle of gods is always there. And that's why when Moses stood on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments, the first one was what? You shall have no other gods before me. When God gave this command, the people were familiar with a lot of other gods. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And Egypt was like the Baskin Robbins of gods. So you can pick and choose any flavor you want. But the Bible gives us a different perspective when it comes to God. And so when we hear God say, You will have no other gods before me, we might think of it as a kind of hierarchy, that God is always at first place before other things. But I don't believe that's an accurate understanding because. God isn't interested in competing against others or being the first among many. He isn't saying before me as in ahead of me. He meant before me like in my presence. So God declines to sit at the top of an organizational flowchart. He is the organization. He's not interested in being the president of the board, He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table in the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God, and there's no other applicant for that position. In other words, there's no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistant to the regional gods. And God isn't saying this because he's insecure. This is how it's made to work, and it's the only way that it does work. Because he is the only God who can help us direct us, satisfy us, and save us. You might be wondering, isn't this a bit radical, stressing this God's thing from the Old Testament? I mean, Jesus didn't talk about idolatry, did he? Well, yes, he actually did. Um, but he stated it in the positive. He said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is what we're after in our lives and in our church. And this is what will lead us to energy and passion in our lives and in our church. And so we can try new programs or leaders or buildings and all those things are good. But if we don't really want God to be the God of our lives, we're wasting our energy. And as we look at life through this lens... Here's what becomes clear. There's a battle going on. The gods are at war and their strength is not to be underestimated. These gods clash for the throne of your heart and much is at stake. Everything about you, everything you do, every relationship you have, everything you hope or dream or wish to become depends upon what gods win the war. And so Do you recognize that this battle is going on for your heart? Do you see it? Can you see the gods of idolatry in our day are more subtle than statues? And they're so ordinary, in fact, that we don't recognize them as gods at all. But what if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations, our checkbooks, our search engines, our calendars? What if I told you that every sin you're struggling with, every discouragement you're dealing with, even the lack of purpose you're living with, is because of idolatry? You see, the truth of the Bible is timeless. Now then, Joshua said in verse 23, Throw away all the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so, my friends, there's a battle going on for your heart. And I hope that this isolation time that we're in right now is helping you to see the battle and fight the battle. So let's talk about what helps us fight the battle for our hearts. First of all, realizing our hearts were made to worship. Notice in our text, Joshua presents them with four options of what gods they can choose to worship. The gods of old, the gods of Egypt, the local gods, or the Lord God himself. Notice that one of the option is not none of the above, because we are all worshipers. And so the opposite of believing in God is not atheism, it's idolatry. We all believe and worship something, even if that something is ourselves. So what is your God? If we fight the battle for our hearts, it starts by realizing that our hearts were made to worship and that we will worship something. Secondly, we're identifying the gods at war for our hearts. And this is not an easy thing to do, because if you're like me, you don't think of yourself as someone who bows down to idols. I mean, you would rather not see yourself in that light, right? I mean, serving other gods is hard to recognize in yourself, and you really don't want to recognize it. Uh, I mean, we're usually not people who knowingly say, today... I'm going to bow down to an idol, or I'm going to serve another god. We don't plan on this. It subtly happens, often without our own recognition. Physically, heart disease is the same way. We don't plan on having heart disease, and people often don't recognize that they've developed heart disease. It's interesting to me, if you talk to a cardiologist, uh, he'll tell you about a procedure called an arteriogram. And it's used to diagnose how healthy your heart is. Here's how it works. The doctor injects a dye into the bloodstream, and then an x-ray is taken of the arteries to locate any blockages. And if they locate a blockage, they'll insert a stent through the patient's leg, and they'll open up the blood vessel. But what's interesting to me is that frequently a heart problem goes undetected or undiagnosed for years. No arteriogram is done to test the heart. Why? Well, it's because the symptoms don't seem relevant. A patient may face insomnia, back pain, loss of appetite, anxiety, vision problems, starting to sound like one of those commercials that you see on TV, all these kinds of things and challenges. But the patient seeks medical help to treat the symptoms. They think they have a sleeping issue or a vision issue, when in truth, it's a heart issue. It's cardiovascular. Until that's addressed, the patient isn't going to get better. And so today I want to ask you some questions that I hope will be the beginning of a kind of spiritual arteriogram to help locate the other gods that are in your heart or knocking on the door of your hearts. So first of all, what are you most disappointed with? What are you most disappointed with? Because what we're most disappointed with often reveals where we have put our hope. And where we put our hope reveals our God. Second, what do you sacrifice your time and money for? The word serve appears seven times in Joshua's speech. Who or what you serve is revealed by how you spend your time and your money. And thirdly, where do you go when you're hurt? Where do you go when we're hurt? It, It creates a very honest moment of worship. Where do we go for comfort that can be revealing? God says, you shall have no other gods in my presence, and yet other gods are constantly knocking on the door to our hearts, and many of them are so tempting. But Joshua tells us that to win the battle for our hearts means making a worship choice today. In verse 15, Joshua says, Then choose this day. And the verb tense that Joshua uses for choose, it isn't just a reference to a choice that they made once upon a time. Joshua is saying here, I chose, I choose, I will keep on choosing. And so the passage tells us that if we choose the Lord, there are some clear actions that come from that choice. And so for you application lovers today, choosing this day means, first of all, appreciating what God has done. In verses 2-13, through Joshua recalls the incredible things that God has done for his people. Likewise, when you and I worship, we celebrate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We appreciate what God has done. Second, we're recognizing who God is. In verse 19, Joshua reminds the people that God is a holy and a jealous God. He will not share the hearts of his people with false gods. If we choose the Lord God as our God, then we must allow him to be God in our lives. So do you want to know the number one reason why churches struggle across America and why there's a lack of excitement about God in your life? Well, it's often because you serve other gods and still claim to serve the Lord God. This is not coming from me today. Let the scriptures speak. Let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life and your heart. If we're going to choose the Lord, then we must be destroying all other gods. Destroying. In verse 23, he says to them, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. You might wonder, why does God ask so much? It's because he loves you so much. He loves you with an intense, passionate love. It's like the passionate love between a husband and a wife is meant to be. And throughout the Bible, you'll see idolatry described often as being very much like adultery. God is not content with you having other lovers, and no other lover could satisfy you like our God anyway. But God allows us to chase other gods. And not only that, he pursues us continually as we do so. And in his deepest expression of pursuit, he sends his own son. Being God and knowing all things, he knew exactly how it would come out. He knew about the arrest, the unfair trial, the beatings, the mockings, the crucifixion. And so, sending Jesus illustrates just how far God is willing to go to win the battle for your heart. He had to make a choice between your heart and his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Can you feel him pursuing you? Can you feel the whisper that says, I will not take no for an answer? Though we, like the prodigal son, decide to serve other gods, though we may wander, the prodigal father runs out to meet his child when he returns. And that's our God. He keeps coming. He still does. And he does so in my life, and he does so in yours. He hates everything that blocks our view of him and anything that threatens to keep us from hearing his voice. He wants you. Not just some of you. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about other gods, little g, which threaten to steal your heart. And I hope today that you will decide to fight the battle for your heart. That you will not be content to treat a heart disease like a sleep problem. That you'll realize your heart was made to worship and that you'll seek to identify the other gods that are at war for your heart and that you will choose to put the Lord God alone on the throne of your heart and worship Him.